that it's essentially just a recipe for mental illness. Like every time you're going surfing, you're frustrated, angry, more than likely going to end up in a confrontation or some kind of conflict. Um, so you go into that fight and flight mode constantly. Your body's filling with cortisol, the stress hormone. It creates anxiety, depression, inflammation, infections, uh, and is ultimately carcinogenic. So it causes cancer uh, at some point. So <laughs> if that's what surfing's doing to you... Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week we have Jed Smith back on the show. Jed, most people will know and know well. He's one half of the Ain't That Swell podcast and he's also a regular contributor to Stab Premium. And he's becoming a regular on this show as well, mostly because he's so goddamn entertaining. And this week we talked about two of Jed's most recent stories on the site, the first being a story where Jed unpacks the bizarre social hierarchies that exist in surf towns around the world. Essentially, Jed makes an argument that we heavily over-index and give way too much value to people who, uh, you know, simply because they surf well. Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week we have Jed Smith back on the show. Jed, most people will know and know well. He's one half of the Ain't That Swell podcast and he's also a regular contributor to Stab Premium. And he's becoming a regular on this show as well, mostly because he's so goddamn entertaining. And this week we talked about two of Jed's most recent stories on the site, the first being a story where Jed unpacks the bizarre social hierarchies that exist in surf towns around the world. Essentially, Jed makes an argument that we heavily over-index and give way too much value to people who, uh, you know, simply because they surf well, which I found to be an incredibly rare take. I've never even thought to question the things that Jed does in this story. And then the second story we spoke about uh, stemmed from a number of conversations that Jed had with Brad Gerlach. Brad, he's former number two in the world, former rival of Tom Curran's and Martin Potter's. And Jed and Brad spoke about being able to enjoy any surf. And that includes one foot onshore cold water closeouts, which is handy to know. The second episode of Electric Acid is out, which I have not watched yet. I'm currently on the road for a stab project. But the first episode, it was incredible. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the 105th if, uh, if this series just keeps rolling on like that. And I kind of underestimated how good this movie would be. Electric Acids are always super interesting and, and I love Mason and Coco, but I've seen so much of Mason Surf. I guess I didn't put as much value on it until I watched it. And I think the difference is just this film. It's, it's not a 14-minute um, bunch of raw tracks over the top of a, a never-ending Jimi Hendrix song. Those films are great, but this is uh, it's a proper movie. The storytelling, there's, you know, the surf's pumping and then, and then Mason's only half of it. Watching Coco Surf is incredible. But it's their dynamic together that's possibly the most compelling thing about this about this series and there'll just never be another surf family like the hoes. They're, 
They're too good. But congrats to Ashton and Sam Moody and everyone else that worked on that project. And sign up to Stab Premium if you haven't already. There'll be links in this episode description to do that. But before we get to the chat with Jed, let's chat to one half of the Cusp podcast and WSL post-heat commentator, Stace Galbraith, for some WSL news. Well, Stace, what is the news this week? The big news out of WSL world is that the 11-time world champion, Mr. Kelly Slater, will be competing at the upcoming Freshwater Pro in Lemoore, which is somewhat of a surprise. His injury did seem like the real deal. Um, I know a lot of surfers recently are missing events for whatever reason, um, but Kelly certainly seemed to be laid up for a little while. Uh, but it's also no surprise that he's picked his own event to come back at, which <laughs> he's usually really good at. So it's, it's a good time for him to be back in action. The event where he's literally God, he created the wave. As far as you know, have any of the surfers complained about that Kelly has an unfair advantage at the pool, just given the, that he made the thing and he has unlimited access to surf it whenever he likes? You know what? There's definitely chatter amongst the crew, but I think at the end of the day, everyone gives him that leeway that he can have an advantage there at the end of the day it is his um and anyone that obviously wants to chat to him in person about it i'm sure he's open to it um they might just get their access denied when they turn up to surf their heat <laughs> yeah i guess the the easy response would be build your own pool i mean you can't argue with exactly. the fact that he did an incredible thing but access to the pool is pretty scarce, especially for competitors, especially the lower seeds on top of that. Like people have limited time in the pool, but then the lower seeds are given um, some pretty hairy times to to practice in the lead up to the event. I know Coco Ho has um, – her slot is at 11 p.m. the night before the event. That's when she gets to get her practice in. So uh, it's it's tricky getting access to that thing. It really is, and there's been specialty events over the years where they are suited to the uh, to the top tier surfers, and it is one of those waves. Like any wave in the world, the more reps at it, you are going to be better. It's just that simple, and and here is no different. Um, the rookies who've never surfed it before, they're in for a they're in for a challenge. It's it's not as easy as it looks to ride. It it looks perfect in pictures. But it's, it's not a perfect wave at all. It's really challenging to surf. You, you've coached at Lemoore. You've coached surfers at Lemoore. What sort of advice do you give them? We try to just break the wave down into more manageable bite-sized pieces because you're riding the wave for like 45 seconds yep. if you can get to the end of it. Uh, so you really want to try to make it a little bit more manageable. Uh, Mikey and I were talking recently on, on our most recent podcast about the markers in the pool uh, fencing being something to go off, that's not really manageable. You can't really be looking two places at once, but you can certainly be counting turns, say, before the barrel section and know that you've done those amount of turns and then it's time to pull in now. Uh, and then uh, uh, you know, on the contrary, when you're coming out of the tube, okay, you've got about time, if you do it properly, to get about four or five major manoeuvres in before the last tube. So just trying to break it down and make it simple. All right, well, what else? 
it's not the first time Kelly Slater's dominated the headlines. The other piece of news that I found interesting was that he has been officially listed as the reserve for the American Olympic team. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but given the injury crisis that the team has been going through, it's important to get the official recognition as the reserve for the team because the Olympics has a very strict qualification process that you must meet. Otherwise, you're not eligible. So Kelly became eligible after he competed in the ISA event in Japan in 2019. Uh, since then, he did not compete in El Salvador, obviously, citing that foot injury. But surfing in one of those ISA events was enough to uh, deem him eligible for the Olympics should John John or Kolohe be unavailable. Yeah. I just assumed that Kelly was the reserve. And I just feel like that was obvious, given his ranking, uh, that year of the qualifying and the fact that he did the ISA Games... I just feel like this Olympic news is being milked beyond belief. I feel like it's it's all a bit much for a, what's essentially going to be a glorified QS. For sure. It does have huge implications, though, for people like Kelly, no doubt. He's he's already superstar, but there's no doubt, you know, whether we like it or not, the amount of eyeballs on the Olympics is going to be large. And it does make a difference when you're, say, comparing a surfer like Griffin Colapinto or Seth Benes, who, to my knowledge, are probably better suited as reserves given where the event is going to be. They're not, they're not eligible. They didn't surf in one ISA event, so they, they won't be on the reserve list. Right. So this could, this could put Kelly back up in the Baywatch stratosphere of fame. It could take him, could take him back to the late nineties, early two thousands, where he was just posters on walls again. All right, what else? The Brazil CT for two thousand and twenty one has officially been cancelled. There was a lot of speculation that that event would not run, uh, but it was only until recently that that event was officially cancelled. There's still speculation that Mexico is up in the air, but at this stage it is still running and that's been moved back to August the 10th. So now there's a bit bigger of a break for the surfers uh, in between, say, the Surf Ranch Pro and Mexico. There's a little more time now between the Olympics for those that are going. Mm, tricky one for Australian surfers, knowing whether they, or well, not just Australians, but... Uh, surfers that aren't from America, knowing whether the whether to go home or hang around, that's uh, puts a tricky spanner in the itinerary. There, it definitely does. There's speculation that a lot of surfers they might not come home until December. Whew. Simply, simply put, a lot of people don't want to put up with that two week quarantine more than they have to. So, given the fact, once you leave Australia, you're essentially quote unquote free to do whatever you like. I've heard of crew contemplating going to Indonesia from America mm. because it's just that it's just that easy. Whereas to go to Indonesia from Australia, as you know, you'd be swimming in paperwork before you even think about going. Yeah, fully. Well, I hope Mexico happens. I've been getting pretty excited about Mex after watching the Mason and Coco Hub Electric Acid film. Um, you know, but it's almost like a little bit bittersweet because you you, you watch that and you think, oh, Mexico is incredible. But then you think back to the 2006 well where they just so happened to, it was the Rip Curl Search event. It was the first time the WSL had ever done an event in Mexico. And they just so happened to jag a one in 20 year swirl window and just 
have the most incredible waves ever. So there's no chance it can ever be that good. I mean, uh, statistical, it'll be such a statistical fluke if, uh, if they are. So it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a weird one because it'll be great, but it'll just never match that 2006 event that Andy won. Definitely. And I, I heard, you know, that the sand had never been as good there ever since, even now. So it's just all the stars would need to align. But I think no matter what, it'll end up being an amazing event to watch, even if they get waves like we've seen in the first episode of the electric acid surfboard test. There's the CT men and women would on their, you know, HP thrusters would certainly be putting up some pretty cool combos to watch, I reckon. Yeah, given its proximity to the mainland max and its consistency and just how well known that region is, I know it's politically a little bit complicated and, and unsafe in recent years, but for the most part, it's just a goldmine that the WSL hasn't really tapped until now. So hopefully that event can happen. What else, Stace? Any other news from the WSL land? I could dig up some bullshit that you probably don't want to hear, Danny, but that's pretty much it on the major news fronts at the moment. Thanks, Stace. And now on to Jed Smith, whose full name is Jedham, for those that didn't know. J-E-D-A-U-M. Bit of Jed Smith trivia there for you. The surf town runs on a unique social matrix. Certain people are awarded certain privileges on the basis of little of little more than surfing prowess. An individual's ability to throw certain body shapes on water somehow translated into respect, admiration, and differential treatment on land. I didn't get it. There were pro surfers in the community I was from, but they were not special. At least no more than the guy bombing trains with his spray can or the park football hero or the amateur boxer or the musician or the guy who shoved ecstasy pills up his ass in crowded parties for everyone's amusement. Surfing ability was largely irrelevant in the world, accounting for but a small pixel in the grand mosaic of life. In the surf town, surfing is the big picture and nothing else matters. Um, to start off, can you please explain what this story is about and what you mean when you say the false reality of a surf town? Uh, okay, yeah, this false reality of a surf town is something that has slowly dawned on me over the course of, uh, let's say like, how long have I been doing this job? Maybe like 12 years of like working on and off in the surf media and traveling around the world to various surfing locations. Yeah. And I've just realized that, uh, you're fully treated differently according to your surfing ability when you're in a surf town. It's fucking odd, but it's so real. And I'm from the inner city though, like a part of the city that has a beach. Uh, but you know, so obviously that there was surfers and pro surfers, but, the culture was very different there. Like you didn't, for one, you never identified yourself as a surfer. That was never done because you were mocked for it. You know, like 
uh, in the circles I mixed in, like if you identified too much as a surfer, you're immediately just copping the stereotypical surf slang and like, you know, shit like, you know, why do you run to the beach, mate? Like the ocean's still going <laughs> to fucking be there. And it's like, uh, like, you know, you immediately had to start explaining yourself and the piss was like fully taking, taken out of you. The, but in the surf town, yeah, like, sorry, keep going. people, you know, either proudly identify as surfers or even if they don't proudly identify as surfers, they like to be known as uh, a good surfer, even if it's uh, underground or whatever. Like it, it, it matters that you're a good surfer and not a kook. Yeah, and this type of mindset is so ingrained. I don't think many people have ever thought to question it before. Is there, I mean, there's so many unwritten rules in this bizarre world that we operate in. Was there one particular moment where you were just like, where it dawned on you, like, this is, this doesn't make sense? Uh, I mean, in the article you can read, I was initially just baffled by, uh, you know, at the start of the article, I'm just, just wearing the most intense level of disrespect from uh, an aspiring young pro and like, I just didn't understand – I didn't understand it at the time. I'm like, no, like nobody talks to people like that unless they want a violent altercation and he didn't want that. So I didn't understand why he was doing it. Mm. And uh, why he thought he could get away with it. Why he thought he could get away with it without violence. Like that, that was – in the world I grew up in, that was – that kind of behaviour always resulted in violence. Um, and then I was even more shocked when later on after he learned that I worked in the surf meter, he, he came up and – uh, tried to be my friend without even acknowledging the prior incident. Uh, so that was kind of the beginning of realising that I'd stumbled into some kind of weird false reality. Mm. Uh, what do you think this looks like when it's at its worst, this like false reality of glorifying people based on surfability alone? Uh, thankfully... In Australia, there is a degree of tall poppy syndrome where people like to tear down people who get too ahead of themselves. That said, there is a shitload of hero worship that goes on in the surfing community because I think people don't see it as hero worship. They, they think surfing's like still this counterculture outlaw thing and they're actually – they're not worshipping their hero. They're worshipping someone who's core – yeah, And by core, they kind of mean someone who like what they literally mean is just someone who takes surfing way too fucking seriously a lot of the time. Yeah. They've like sacrificed everything in life, uh, friendships, family, or the possibility of having a family, like uh, fucking um, the ability to just meet new people. Um, sacrificed all this stuff for surfing. Um, and like sometimes – can be an honourable thing being really cool if you've got like a healthy sense of perspective when it comes to surfing. But if you just like surf obsessed to the point that that's all that matters in your life and nothing else, I don't know if that's healthy. Yeah. Do you think we should give anyone with extreme talents on a wave special treatment or consideration in any way? Or do you think that's just like a, a useless measure for a human? Yeah, it's a completely useless measure for a human <laughs> but what about people that i mean and this isn't what the article's about but there is something about 
someone's uh, dedication to an act and and learning the skills and and it is admirable, you know, in in, in some extreme focus. Yeah, on one skill. Is that admirable? <laughs> what if it's playing the spoons? Is well, there a social hierarchy that, that exists around playing the spoons or the Yoho Diablo? Uh, fuck, I don't know. Is there? It's, it'd have to be, wouldn't there? Yeah. Or fucking waterfall kayaking or flying kite. Does that extreme dedication to that skill, does it translate into them being a functioning member of society and community and their family because the mm. one thing i've observed in surfing is that you know extremely good surfing ability in no way equals being a good human being a good family member um a good community member mm. like those things often uh, contravene each other i've seen a lot of really talented surfers who are woeful self-absorbed mentally ill drug addicts um yeah and whatnot and so these social hierarchies they exist in human nature everywhere but do you think they're particularly worse in a surf town from what you've observed um i guess it all depends what the social hierarchy uh values Mm -hmm. you know for social hierarchy values being a good community member, being a good family man, being compassionate, kind, generous, uh, then that social hierarchy, I think, is of great benefit to the planet and to human beings. If it's based on greed, self-absorption, entitlement, elitism, uh, you know, values like that, then it's probably pretty toxic. Yeah, and so you think surf, surf towns in particular, even though there are toxic examples everywhere – you think it's like a microcosm of consistent um, negative social hierarchies? Uh, not, well, I mean, there is incredible people within the surf community who exist at the top of surfing social hierarchy in different parts of the world. I was just writing another story actually about, you know, Mega Samadhi is a really classic example He's a uh, you know, two-time winner of the Rip Curl Cup Padang. He's also a Hindu uh, priest in training from the Bukit Peninsula. His family's lived there for generations. And, uh, you know, starts the day meditating and uh, performing various roles for his communities. You know, he leads his youth who don't necessarily surf uh, in prayer and um, taking care of their community, whether it be, um, you know, picking up waste or de- helping develop, you know, the Bukit's fledgling uh, sewage and waste disposal system. And then he paddles out and gets fucking the wave of the day completely unopposed at Penang. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he, I've seen him literally thank the crowd as he's stroking into an eight-foot fucking no screamer at Penang. takes the yeah. time to pause and thank and them. And thank everyone. Wow. And, uh, you know – Setting a, a standard of behaviour like that is incredible and I think, uh, you know, it's such a – it's so synonymous with the Balinese belief system of karma, you know, goodwill and trust begets more goodwill and trust and uh, it can be a compounding force for good and it can reverberate from the grassroots up and I, I, I haven't observed this but I know it's a similar situation in Tahiti at Chopu. 
you know, guys, uh, local guys will, when they join the lineup, they'll come out and shake hands with everyone and say good day and, and greet everyone. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, there's examples of, of it working really well in certain surf communities, the, the social hierarchy and, and spreading, you know, values that I think are of benefit to humankind. And then there's examples of it working terribly. Um, yeah. Where you kind of get these uh, self-absorbed, greedy tryhards um, who are worshipped by fanboys, fangirls and various acolytes to the point where they completely lose grip on reality and, and think that they're killing it in life. Yeah. But really all they've done is master their cutback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this article is not about localism, but I think these localism and, and everything you're talking about are somewhat aligned. And localism is a dogma in surfing that is just so rarely questioned. What are your thoughts on localism and its relevance in the modern surf landscape? Uh, yeah, well, this is a topic that's uh, the subject of a, an article that you'll be able to read on Stab Premium uh, pretty surely. Um, I mean, the fact about localism is that it's not really compatible with where surfing's headed you know surfing is booming it's on an exponential growth curve uh if you're at a renowned surf town um you're probably watching rent and property prices skyrocket you're watching fucking endless people uh descending on your surf town um you know learning to surf at waves that they probably should be learning to surf at um ignorant of the culture and the the laws that you grow up with if you grow up in a surfing community. So on one level, like, you know, there is, I don't know if you, there's an obligation or there is some justification for, uh, you know, educating people in how surfing works. But, you know... <laughs> The way I was raised, like, in the surfing community, you know, the kind of brand of localism, it was like, oh, uh, you know, fuck Bowens, fuck tourists, fuck kooks. Mm-hmm. Um, these waves are yours. Like, this beach belongs to you. Um, take any wave you want. And, uh, you know, that's uh, pretty common, right? Like, yeah. That's that, that's almost the traditional kind of version of localism. Yeah. Um, what I realized, you know, and it was all elders from the community that were – encouraging this a lot of the time what i realized is that that is essentially just a recipe for mental illness like every time you go on surfing you're frustrated angry uh more than likely going to end up in a confrontation or some kind of conflict um so you go into that fight and flight mode constantly your body's filling with cortisol the stress hormone uh cortisol is uh, you know highly toxic in anything but small amounts. It creates anxiety, depression, inflammation, infections, uh, and is ultimately carcinogenic. So it causes cancer uh, at some point. So <laughs> if that's what surfing's doing to you, <laughs> like, localism causes cancer. That's a, such a good headline. It's not. I mean, I think that's a stretch, but. 
localism is making you sick. Yeah. You know and what? locals suffer from it probably more than anyone. Yeah. Well, definitely more than anyone because they're the ones who have these unrealistic expectations that can never be met. Like, um, you know, the definition of stress is the, the difference between what is and what you want things to be. Mm-hmm. In that difference is stress. And uh, if things aren't going to change – which they're not. Surfing's only getting more popular. Your spots are only getting more crowded. Yeah. Like, you're only getting more stressed unless you develop a different attitude. I've always thought of localism as being pretty redundant because if you're a local somewhere, you're going to know a lot of people in the lineup. You're going to know where to sit. And if you surf out there all the time, which is, you know, is part and parcel of being a local, then you're going to surf well enough to get a lot of waves and you should be able to get a read on the spot and and catch enough waves. And if a tourist comes, if a tourist shows up, doesn't hassle you, drop in or snake you and catches more waves than you, then that's, that's on you. You know what I mean? There's, you have no right to be like, oh, I, no, I deserve those waves because I was out here, you know, more often than, than this person. Like it's just, it's a really backwards, backwards way of thinking. But I think naturally if you're a local, you just, you probably end up with, with a, enough waves under your belt just because you, you know the spot. Yeah, I mean, you'd think so. I think it might change a bit. It might, I think that applies on like heavier waves, like, you know, slabs and, uh, mm. yeah, like waves that are dangerous or big or whatever. On your kind of average, like three to four foot point break, I think most people seem to be able to work out how one of them works. And yeah, but you still know like where to spot a set, where to sit if a wide one comes. There are little tricks. And, oh, for sure. And if the waves are small and, you, and you're fighting over tiny waves, then that's kind of. That's the Northern Rivers, isn't it? Yep. All right. The other article I wanted to chat to you about is called, Could You Be Getting More Joy Out of Your Surfing? Brad Gerlach's Guide to Mindful Surfing. And so can you tell me how this story came about? Um, Yeah, like I chatted to Brad a fair bit. Uh, We've had him on our podcast, Ain't That Swell, a couple of times. And like in the course of those conversations, we were just talking about mindfulness and surfing and you know this has been a new focus in my life just developing mental coping mechanisms for life um meditation being you know front and center of all that and uh yeah we just got chatting about you know how some of the lessons of meditation can be applied uh to surfing so you can just get the most out of it you know so you can get joy out of the ocean no matter what the conditions um i mean because really just even having the ability to go surfing is Mm. such a privilege man yeah if you're from fucking you know if you're working in a factory making cloves in java like 14 hours a day and living in a sewer like you're not getting the chance to go surfing and if you did like i mean you see indonesians at the beach they're fucking losing their minds and they're Mm -hmm. like fully clothed rolling around in the shore break. Yeah. I actually love that. There's one part in the article we quote go and he's talking about expectations and I really like that bit because sometimes that is the the only thing you need to adjust to have a good time. Like if this is pumping but as it normally is when it's pumping crowded and and uh, you you get it can end up coming in you have this expectation you're going to have the best time ever and you can end up coming in way more stressed out uh, on on those days. I would just say too, like, you know, and that, like that expectations one, that expectations point you make might be the biggest point. And I broke that rule just the other day. Like I rocked up, thought it was going to be pumping. It was kind of fun, but not pumping and I was off it. Um, Mm. And I would just like to say that like, you know, 
whether it's mindful surfing, the warped social hierarchies of surf towns or localism, I've fucking bought into all of these things in a negative way in my life. That's yeah. how I know what they are. Mm. Uh, particularly localism when I was a kid. Man, I was a fucking lunatic when I was a girl. <laughs> I was like a full-blown unhinged psychopath. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard the stories. They're wild. So you're really passionate about meditation and mindfulness. How has it affected your ability to enjoy surfing when it does come together and you, you, are, and you are able to remember that? Yeah, if I can just turn the froth level down at the beach and actually take some time out to gather my thoughts, set an intention. Like I've been doing that lately – as much as I can remember to do it. Sometimes the waves are pumping and you just can't do it and you're worse off for it. Mm. But if you can just, you know, something really simple and this is something I kind of uh, got out of my convos with Gert and that's just like setting an intention to nail the takeoff. You know, get your feet in the right spot, position yourself perfectly uh, and just nail the perfect takeoff. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy how A, satisfying that is. And B, just from a performance level, it sets your wave up in such an incredible way. Yeah. Well, you're giving yourself something to be completely conscious of, which gets you out of your head. And I think that's essentially the glory of barrels. They're so magnificent that you can't, and they're so fleeting, you can't help but be completely conscious in those moments. And that is the the ultimate goal, I guess, of all yes. mindfulness. And so you are essentially trying to take that same sensation and apply it throughout your surf without actually, you know, needing that those conditions or the, that freak occurrence of actually getting inside one of those things. Exactly right. And, you know, the flip side of that is I've been spat out of like five-foot dreamy orbs and felt like shit because mm. of the stress it took to get that wave. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. had to fucking paddle around someone or fade someone or like I've been blown up for fucking 40 minutes because I couldn't get one. Yeah. And I finally get one and I get spat out and I like – and it almost amplifies the negativity because I have this expectation that it's going to be – this transcendental life-changing moment. And when yeah. it isn't, it doubles down on the fucking depression in that moment because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I should be so stoked. But often like getting barreled, especially at this age, I'm 34, probably been barreled like a thousand times in my life. And it's just, it's not what it used to be as a kid. I mean, and, and expecting, doing the same thing and expecting the same result every time uh, is fucking stupid. I'm pretty sure that's a Buddhist parable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you kind of touched on this with setting an intention, but what tips do you have for people to, to apply this in their surfing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would take girls tips, um, which is like, you know, having a little stretch on the beach, uh, you know, slump, focusing on your breathing, doing a little bit of meditation, a couple minutes of just sitting there, um, with your eyes open or closed slowing your breathing down, calming yourself down um, and setting intentions and then, and then being present, being in the now as Eckhart Tolle would say. And so when you're paddling out, you know, trying to be as in the moment as you can, like feeling the water push your hair back over your head or you run across your bald scalp, whatever it is, um, you know, like Vaughn, Kelly. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, just feeling the movement, how that makes you feel, registering the endorphins as they, uh, you know, kind of start to surge through you. Mm. And 
was a nice feeling. Um, you know, feeling the volume of the board, especially uh, you know during the, the the takeoff process and pumping down the line and doing turns, trying to really connect with your equipment. Yeah, so it's it's using those that sensory things. experiences. Like, yeah, it's essential experiences, Gur says, and you know if you're not acknowledging all those positive sensory moments like you're missing out yeah like washing your hands is so much more enjoyable if you actually just pay attention to the water running over your hands and as as loopy as that might sound like even walking up a set of stairs if you're not in your own head noise just fucking playing ping pong balls with thoughts it it, it's fuck it's life's a lot better hey i just wanted to also read a couple of comments under the article it got uh, as all your articles do joe they get a good response from the listeners but one person wrote kumbaya kumbaya Mm. what do you want to say to that person uh enjoy your misery pal (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another comment was joy question mark from surfing question mark that's preposterous and (laughs) i thought that was pretty funny because as much as that's a joke that that definitely does illustrate what a lot of people's experiences are in the water try hard culture people (laughs) are trying so fucking hard they're so stressed (laughs) trying to improve their performance and i think that goes back to the social hierarchy thing um you know they're trying to improve their performance or maintain their performance so they can maintain their status within the social hierarchy which exists both in water and on land. And that's what's important, not getting enjoyment. Uh, I think all these articles uh, that I've written and I'm writing at the moment, they're all kind of a variation on the same thing. And uh, I'm no master of it. Oh, man, I am fucking as full to the brim of human frailties and neurosis as anyone. Um, But I can identify a few important trends and themes yeah and you've been really honest and vulnerable about everything you go through and and uh especially your anger and things like that do you still flip your lid in the surf or have you got that under control um i mean heaps less and uh yeah it, it seldom like really last time was at uh like a really good day and the break was down here and it was like, yeah, really hollow barreling day. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for me, like the, the risk for me in those situations is I guess people will do certain things uh, that's like, to me, it's like uh, them trying to impose their will on me or dominate me or uh, overpower me. And, um, you know, you don't get to do that. In my mind, you don't get to do that to me unless you have um, physical threat to back that up. Like you need to be able to back that up with the threat of violence. And if you don't have that, I'm going to test you out and um, see if you got it. And if you don't have it, I'm going to fucking – I'm going to stand over you. But <laughs> I end up sick for a week after that. I end yeah. up in the fucking doldrums of depression, battling suicidal thoughts and fucking – I'm so that's the that's the, how I've been able to write these articles. I'm so sensitive to stress. I yep. have no fucking threshold for stress. Like it's it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the way the the fucking stressful, unstable, violent uh context that I come from. Mm. And it's worn me down to fucking nothing. Um and so my only options in life really are to fucking pray for salvation. <laughs> yeah. And do a lot of him off. 
and not surf crowded waves because people lose their fucking minds in crowded waves. People do weird shit. People do weird shit. People do weird shit. 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 That's all we have for this week. Thank you. The link to each of Jed's stories and the latest episode of Electric House at Surfboard Test starring Mason and Coco Ho will be in the episode description. And that's all we got. Click on through to the other side of those and see you next week. Be all you can be. supposed to do wait like i did wait is that what you did wait yeah that's what i did you know you don't know how many times people came up to me with these surfing magazines with pictures of you winning these tournaments surrounded by girls in little thong bikinis